On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, "'Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing?' And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, "'Peace, be still.' And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, "'Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith?' And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, "'Who then is this that even the wind and the sea?' obey him. This is the word of the Lord. You may have a seat. Um, This morning, we, uh, as you can tell, are in the gospel of Mark. Um, We are about to enter into, or we have already entered into by a couple days, um, the season in the church calendar called Christmas tide, the Christmas season, the 12 days of Christmas. We're in in that right now. Um, And uh, I thought it'd be appropriate for us to talk a little bit about who Jesus is for us. Um, this, what I'm going to say this morning um, about Jesus being our peace uh, comes from a series that I did a couple years ago with RUF called Christ for Us. And what we were doing was we were looking at the different things that Christ is for us in our lives. And I thought that it would be appropriate to spend some time thinking about how Christ is our peace during this season as we talk about the Prince of Peace. That's kind of one of the themes of, of this season. Um, so, we're going to look at this account in the beginning of uh, Jesus's, or toward the beginning of Jesus' ministry in the Gospel of Mark, um, but I'm going to pray for us before we dive in. Heavenly Father, speak to us this morning. Reveal Yourself to us. Show Yourself to us Um, in a new way this morning, that we might know you afresh, that we might know you and your peace um, on another level. We ask that you would do that by your Spirit, um, that I would decrease and that you would increase in the preaching of your Word this morning. We ask this in your Son's name. Amen. So, the Gospel of Mark, many of you know, is the shortest of the four Gospels, um, and uh, all the Gospels tell uh, some kind of tell the story of Jesus from different perspectives um, and in different ways. And the gospel of Mark is known by some as kind of the practical gospel. Um, it's, it was meant, uh, some say that it was meant to help the Roman world, the people in the Roman world of that day, to live Christ-like lives in the midst of suffering. And so, the Gospel of Mark holds kind of two main themes or two key themes, uh, which for us this morning um, I'm going to tell you are discipleship and suffering. Mark talks a lot about discipleship, what it looks like to follow Jesus, and suffering, how we cope with the things that are wrong in our lives, the things that are wrong in our world. How do we follow Christ in the midst of this suffering? What does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus when things go wrong, when things are hard in our lives? And how practically might we find peace in those places? In our passage this morning, um, we will find an answer to those questions in two different scenes. There's kind of two separate scenes in this passage, um, and that's going to form kind of the, the structure of this sermon this morning. So, the first is the calming 
and the, and the second is the confession, the calming and the confession. First, the calming. Um, a little bit of background of where we are here. Um, just prior to this passage, Jesus was teaching. He was teaching parables um, to the crowds, and He had been displaying His power um, amongst the people as a healer, a teacher, um, a leader. And as we look in our text, we find Him in a boat. Um, he's traveling across the Sea of Galilee in uh, modern-day Palestine. And in verse 38, we find that it says that Jesus fell asleep in the stern of the boat. Um, and I love that the text includes the detail that He was on a cushion. It didn't need to say that He was on a cushion, but it did. And it's one of those details that um, shows us, I think, that Jesus was comfortable. Um, he was peaceful as He went across this, this sea um, in the boat. Uh, this boat, just so you can picture it, um, was likely about 26 feet long, uh, about seven feet wide, and the walls are about four and a half feet tall. There was a little deck in the, in the back of the boat, um, and, in the, and Jesus was asleep um, uh, there as well. Um, and I didn't, I don't know, I'm, not, I'm ashamed to say this, I'm not really a true Charlestonian because I don't know, I didn't know offhand what the stern was. You know, I know the terms, right? There's the bow and the stern and starboard or port, I don't, I don't know all the terms, but I had to look it up. Um, but the stern is the back of the boat, apparently. So Jesus was asleep in the back of the boat um, going across the Sea of Galilee. So, um, Jesus, we find out that Jesus had fallen asleep, and uh, we need to ask ourselves a question about, about that fact. Why did Jesus fall asleep? Um, and I don't think that there's kind of some intense theological point to be made here necessarily. Um, I think we just need to know that Jesus was tired, and He needed to sleep. His body, like ours, wore out and needed to be refreshed in that moment. Um, as we reflect on the incarnation in this season, Jesus taking on flesh, the fancy, that's a fancy word for Jesus taking on flesh, um, we remember that He took on flesh like our flesh, and Jesus knew what it was like to be tired. Um, we could even probably go so far to say that Jesus was exhausted in this moment. Um, he had been uh, kind of traveling around, doing all these things, teaching, uh, preaching, healing, doing all the things that we see Him doing in the, in the verses leading up to this. He was exhausted. And um, we can tell that not only because of what He did, but because of the situation under which He fell asleep. They were going in a boat across the sea, and a storm was coming, and Jesus was fast asleep in the middle of, of this storm. Um, I can't imagine it's very easy to fall asleep in a, in a small little boat like that in the middle of a storm, um, but Jesus was just on His cushion in the back of the boat, um, fast asleep. <clears throat> um, I imagine that a lot of you uh, maybe have had the experience of falling asleep when you didn't intend to fall asleep or when you didn't expect to. Um, speaking for myself, when, when our kids were, were younger, um, when they were babies, uh, I often uh, would just sleep right through the events of the, of the night, right? You know, the feedings, the crying, the fussing, and I'd wake up and I'd ask Allison, like, how was the night? And uh, she would be very frustrated by that. She'd roll her eyes because, you know, I was just fast asleep. She was doing all these things. Um, it still happens today sometimes, um, too much to my uh, shame. <clears throat> but normally that happens when you're just so tired, right? When you're exhausted, when you wake up and you're like, I just, my head hit the pillow and I don't remember a thing that happened after that. 
Um, and in this story, we get a glimpse of what Jesus was, of what Jesus was like. He was human. He was fully man. And some people have claimed throughout history that Jesus was only God, right? That He only appeared to be a human. But it's passages like this that show us that Jesus was, in fact, truly human. That He breathed air just like we did, just like we do. He ate just like we do. And He slept just like we sleep. Um, It's inescapable for us to see, to um, see this in this passage here. Now, um, this storm comes, and as we try to kind of understand what this storm was like, um, I want you to consider uh, the things that you've seen, maybe experienced, or the things that you've heard about hurricanes um, in the past. Uh, the word for the, in this passage for the storm, the windstorm, is actually used in other places for hurricanes. Um, so, I think it's, fine. It's, it's good for us to think about what a hurricane is like, and that will help us understand what's happening here. Um, the most, one of the most recent um, hurricanes to hit the U.S. was Hurricane Ian. Maybe some of you all remember that. Maybe you saw pictures or videos of what happened, especially in Florida because of that storm. Houses were completely destroyed. The coastline was ravaged. People died. There was flooding. There was all kinds of damage. It was actually the third costliest hurricane um, in the history of this country. Um, The list goes on, right? Hurricanes do all these things in our lives. They have the the power to completely change um, our way of life, to interrupt everything, right? Hurricane um, Hugo came through and in many ways completely transformed this city um, so many years ago. But we have to remember that the way that we experience hurricanes is from the perspective of dry land generally. I don't know. I've never been out on a boat in a hurricane. Maybe some of you have. I'd love to hear about that if that's the case. Um, But generally, we experience them from dry land. But Jesus and His companions were in a sea on a boat. They weren't able to kind of huddle in their basement um, with a hand crank flashlight. They were literally at the mercy of the storm. Um, and in the Sea of Galilee, it's known that these storms can kind of come out of nowhere um, with no warning. They definitely didn't have, you know, the Weather Channel to tell us it was coming. And um, it could very easily have been the case that uh, you're, cal- you're, you're out on the sea in a boat, and um, you, it leads to you being lost at sea. Your family wonders whatever happened to you. Um, no one knows. You drown because your boat um, capsizes. Uh, recently, my, my wife and I watched um, a documentary series called A Hundred Foot Wave. Um, it's, it's about these surfers, um, these big wave surfers, who found this kind of perfect spot off the coast of Portugal in, in Nazaré, just off the coast of Nazaré, Portugal. And um, they found, for whatever reason, the swells, the underground configurations, don't ask me, I'm not an expert, um, lead to these massive waves kind of breaking right in front of these cliffs um, at, at Nazare, in Nazare, Portugal. And it kind of chronicles these, these surfers, there's these big wave surfers who kind of make this place their, their spot for big wave surfing. And the, the goal of the main guy um, is to catch a hundred foot wave. Um, and these are the kind of waves that you can't paddle up to. You have to be towed in on a jet ski. You, you know, you kind of are holding on the thing, and they tow you in, and then you surf it. Um, but often what happens is it goes wrong, right? If you're surfing a 75-foot, 100-foot wave, um, 
wipeouts are way worse than they would be, in, you know, at Folly Beach. Um, suffice it to say. And um, there's all this footage of some of these surfers who um, they wipe out on the wave, whatever, and um, the waves just keep coming and keep pounding them, hammering them, and you, you see like, their little head pop up, and then they get pounded again. Um, and it's, it's like horrifying, and it's right off of these cliffs. Um, it's, it's like, yeah, it's traumatizing to, to watch them have to do that. Um, <clears throat> and I think that thinking about those kinds of waves, um, 100 feet waves, often hurricanes can lead to that kind of waves happening in the ocean. And so um, that image maybe can be in your, he- in your head to helpfully to help you understand what's happening in this passage. There were real stakes to this storm. Um, and these disciples were in a boat with four and a half foot walls in the middle of a huge storm in this, in this uh, sea. Um, I thought it would be helpful for us to try to understand what that might have been like um, so that we can understand the implications of Jesus being able to calm that storm. With two words, in the original language, it's two words. Jesus brings the natural world to its knees. No doubt many of you are aware of this kind of the crazy climate situation that we are um, in right now where, you know, wildfires, hurricanes, heat waves are coming, um, and we're becoming more and more aware of the fact that we are not in control of the weather, um, that we're not in control of this world. And I hope to you, I hope that for you this morning, that is a comfort to you, um, that Jesus is not only in control of these things, but that He actually cares deeply about them. Um, Jesus is not unconcerned with our plight. He's not unconcerned um, with what's going on in our lives, but He actually exercise, He loves to exercise His power on that behalf of us, on the behalf of His people. In Matthew 6, uh, one of the other Gospels, we hear about how God cares about the lilies. He cares about the sparrows. And um, if God cares about the lilies, the flowers, these birds, how much more does He care about us? This passage, I think, is kind of the inverse of that reasoning. Um, If God is so powerful to be able to stop this fierce hurricane on the Sea of Galilee by speaking two mere words, wouldn't it follow that He is also able to intercede in our lives with what we have going in our lives? Now, I wonder if you or I were to witness uh, Jesus' peace, to witness the way that He brought calm in this way to this storm, how might we respond what would our reaction be? And that leads us to our second point this morning, um, the confession. First, the calming. Second, the confession. So, let's start by looking at what the disciples' first reaction is as the storm is kind of, you know, brewing, coming, coming um, to be in verse 38. Um, they say, um, "'Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing?' "'Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing?' They don't seem too happy with Jesus. Um, and we don't know exactly what they were expecting in that moment. Maybe they were expecting him to, like, help them batten down the hatches, help them, you know, get an oar and try to get them out of the situation that they were in. Maybe they were expecting him to, to wake up and pray. We, we don't know exactly what they were expecting. Maybe they even thought that he would wake up and calm the storm as we see him do in this passage. Um, because Jesus had, Jesus had been healing people. He'd been displaying his power right before this. So maybe they were expecting him to do that. Um, and in verse 38, it, it sounds kind of like a rebuke, like, how dare you um, wake up, help us? Um, but digging into the original language, it's actually better to think of this as just a request for help. It's not, um, 
coming out of, fr- out of frustration necessarily in what Jesus was or wasn't doing. It's just a request for help. So the disciples ask for help from Jesus. And as we know from above, right, He brings peace to the sea. He brings His calm to the sea with just um, a word, just two words. And I don't really know how to put a finer point on how amazing that is. Um, he brings His peace to the sea with two words. Um, it's amazing throughout the Scriptures, uh, but especially here, what Jesus does with just His words. Because in other contemporary works of literature at the time um, that the Bible was written, when a character in a story would try to do some amazing feat, calm a storm, or some act like this, the character would almost always invoke a deity, right? They would say, by the power of, you know, Zeus, or um, by the power of whatever god, I calm this storm. Or they may even, like, invoke a god, pray to a god to help them accomplish what they need to accomplish. But in our passage, Jesus doesn't, you know, invoke God. He doesn't pray to calm the storm, but He speaks with His own voice and calms the storm by a word. If that isn't evidence of the fact that Jesus was God, then I don't know what is. An act that in normal situations would have required divine intervention is brought about by a simple word from this man. So, let's look in verse 41 uh, for what happens next. Uh, Let's note first that uh, the disciples are filled with great fear. Um, It says that they were filled with great fear, and then they said to one another, who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Um, What what does this great fear mean? Um, Notice that our passage has moved from Jesus bringing this great calm to the disciples' great fear or awe. The power of Jesus' words, the peace that He brings, demands our respect, demands our fear or our awe. The meaning of fear that we're talking about in this passage is uh, kind of like an awe or a reverence. Maybe some of you have heard about the fear of the Lord. That's kind of what this is invoking. Um, It's a positive presentation of a right fear, a, a correct fear in the presence and the power of Jesus. So, we have seen that Jesus' word brings about this great calm, um, which leads to this great fear, this great awe in the disciples. And then at the end of this verse, we find their reaction, what they say in response to the miracle from Jesus. They say, I'll read it one more time, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey Him? This statement that the disciples make is a powerful confession of faith um, and fear before a powerful God a powerful confession of faith and fear before a powerful God. One of my favorite traditions um, when I was in college, I haven't done this uh, recent, in recent years, but every Advent I would reread the Chronicles of Narnia, um, a famous, famous series of books. Hopefully you all are aware of them. If not, you should become aware of them, um, written by C.S. Lewis. And um, these stories tell this, this kind of, um, the story of Narnia, this, this fantastical world where these four human children are kind of taken up into, and they go through these different adventures. And um, one of my favorite parts, I guess my favorite part of these books is the character of Aslan. Um, this, this lion who's kind of this godlike figure in this world. Um, and in Narnia, so one of the children, Lucy, uh, who's kind of taken up into this world um, where animals can talk, she has this interaction in the first book, um, and it is the first book, 
uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. We can, you know, I have, I have strong opinions about what order you're supposed to read them in, so you can ask me about that if you want. Um, or if you disagree, that's fine too. But um, So Lucy is in this first book, and she's talking to one of the characters, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, these characters, these animals that can talk. And they have this exchange um, <clears throat> about, about As- who Aslan is. So Lucy says, is this Aslan a man? Aslan a man? said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he is the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of beasts? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion." That you will, dearie, and make no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there is anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they are either braver than most or just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. He's the king, I tell you. I love this exchange, and I think it really um, well describes what's going on in our passage. The disciples see this man, Jesus, with this immense power. He can, contr- he can control this hurricane on the Sea of Galilee by a, a mere word. He can bring His peace by a word. And the words that they bring in this confession um, are essentially them coming to understand that Jesus is not safe but that He is good and that He is the King and that His peace is their peace. Jesus is the King and His peace is their peace. Um, As we close, I want you all to consider what it might look like if you had this same experience in your own lives. What might your reaction be if you were in that boat, caught out at sea, and saw what Jesus accomplished? I think that if you were in the boat with these men and you saw what they saw, um, you probably have a similar reaction to what the disciples had. Um, Who then is this, that the wind and the sea obey Him? Maybe you would say it a different way. Maybe you would just kind of have, you know, your jaw on the floor. Um, But generally, our reaction would be the same. We would have this fear, this awe of Jesus um, in some way. And after we make this confession, after we see what Jesus has done and, and confess who He is, um, what His power and sovereignty over our lives does for us, what might then be the implications for our lives? How does Jesus' power, how does more specifically His peace in this situation affect our lives? Maybe you've heard that you've read this passage before, you've heard it interpreted in this way, Jesus is Lord over the storms of your life. Maybe you've heard that before. And this morning, I don't think that's necessarily a a completely wrong way to go, but this morning I want to propose to you something different. I want you to propose to you that Jesus um, is Lord over the wind and the waves. He controls nature by the power of His Word, and this is good, good news for us. Christ does bring peace to us, but maybe not always in the ways that we might expect. God is not promising to calm the storms of our lives, but He is promising that He is great and that He is good. God is not a vending machine that, um, that spits out exactly what we want. Um, he is an all-powerful being whose words carry immense power and peace. But our sense of peace might not always line up exactly with what God's sense of peace is. What this means for us is this. 
When we feel, um, when in this season we feel occupied by the new year, all that we want to accomplish, maybe what God intends for us is actually for us to fall flat on our faces once again um, with our resolutions. When we are struggling financially, when we are trying to make our budgets line up, maybe God intends for the lights to go out. Maybe God intends for our church to continue to run a deficit. When we're caring for an elderly loved one in our family who's struggling with illness, maybe God won't actually bring healing in the way that we might like or expect. When we're training our new puppy and they poop under the Christmas tree, maybe God actually intends for him to poop somewhere even worse next. When we feel stuck in our job, when we're frustrated with our work, maybe God actually intends to keep us there. Um, Maybe God intends for us to end up being even more frustrated than we are in this moment. When we as a church pray for and desire a new building to um, be our home, maybe God actually is intending for us to stay um, with Friendship Baptist longer than we imagined. Don't hear what I'm not saying here, because God may answer those prayers. Um, God may enter into those situations in the way that we're hoping for, Um, but He also may not. But even if He does answer those prayers in the way that we want, the way that we're hoping for, it's not on our terms, it's on His terms. God is not answering those things to gratify our requests, but He's answering them to point us to one who has His own priorities for us, who has His own plan for our lives. That's not our plans. Beloved, what this means is this, Christ's peace may look different than what we first expect. Can we trust in a God who is not safe, but who we know and and trust is good? Can we place ourselves fully in His hands and have faith that He will be a good King for us? Will you rest in this King of peace, or Prince of peace, as the case may be? Will you trust Him with your very lives? Because if what the Bible says about Jesus is true, He is trustworthy, and He is for your good, will you take this leap of faith and find your true peace in Him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need Your peace. Um, We think we need our peace, but we know clearly that we need Your peace. Uh, Show that to us this morning. Um, Teach us about who You are and um, intercede for us. Um, Bring Your peace in our lives where we need it most. We ask this in Your Son's name. Amen.